Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Uh, welcome back to the Dur Show. As you know, I pride myself on <clears throat> making predictions rarely, but when I make them, um, I've had a very, very high percentage of success because I don't predict based on wishful thinking. I predict based on analysis. So I'm going to make a prediction today. And my prediction today is that I will be on the air tomorrow. Even though I said, no, not going to be on the air because I'm taking a vacation. But I limited myself. I said, if there is a decision that comes down on really, really, really important facts and circumstances, um, I will try to get on the air and give you my analysis of it. So I predict, I'm not certain, that tomorrow, maybe Friday, but it's possible tomorrow, the Supreme Court will decide the case involving Harvard, where I taught for 50 years, and uh, University of North Carolina, where I had a very close friend who taught and was provost for many years, um, and that they will decide that public universities and universities that get federal funding cannot employ race as a factor in admission decisions. I don't know how far they'll go, whether they'll include faculty appointments, whether they'll include a range of other issues, whether they'll go beyond what they have to do as they have before in the Roe versus Wade overruling, where they went beyond what they had to do. But at the very least, I think they'll say when it comes to people being admitted, a school cannot say that we prefer a wealthy, highly educated black person from a good family whose mother is a federal judge and whose father is a hedge fund guy who went to Exeter, the father went to Exeter the, 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 uh, and, and, and Harvard. We can't prefer that person over somebody who came from the Ozark Mountains, whose mother died of fentanyl over a dose, uh, who was poverty stricken and who worked his way up from nothing and got higher grades than the, the black applicant. I think the Supreme Court will at the very least say, no, you can't do that. And that's absolutely right. You can't do that. You can't justify that. You can't justify giving preference to somebody purely on the basis of the color of their skin any more than you could ever justify giving a person a disadvantage based on the color of their skin. Uh, so I think we'll have a lot to talk about tomorrow if the Supreme Court decides. If it doesn't, see you on Friday because the Supreme Court very very likely will decide on Friday that um, um, race can't be taken into account. And I just don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about that even on my vacation if that turns out to be true. So we'll wait, see how good a predictor I am. And if you want to listen, uh, please do. Whether I'm on tomorrow or Friday or not, you can watch me even when I'm on vacation. You just can't watch me live but you can uh, watch any of the previous shows. And I guarantee you there's nobody out there who's watched every single show. 
So you know you've missed some. So if you want to watch some that you missed, please, uh, please do. And by the way, keep sending me letters. I can follow the letters online and save them up. And when I come back, have the best, the best, the best letters. So today I want to talk about a continuation of what we talked about yesterday, but with a different uh, focus. I want to talk about the virtues of, of silence. Again, the motto, uh, the symbol could easily be what I've talked about before, the stuffed fish uh, on the plaque that says, I'd still be swimming if I had kept my mouth shut. I want to compare Donald Trump with Joe Biden. Each has been president of the United States. Each has been accused of rather serious um, uh, crimes, allegations. We know the allegations against Donald Trump. that They're a matter of record. He's been indicted twice. The allegations against Joe Biden, which I don't believe are, are true, um, but their allegations, they're out there, uh, is that he sat next to his son and, and knew that his son had used his name and said, if you don't pay me the money, if you don't complete the deal, but it was, you know, obviously extortion-like threat. If you don't do that, if you don't give me the money, I'm basically going to turn my father and his friends after you and and I will, you know, always be your your enemy. I mean, that is extortionate behavior and and behavior, which if a president knew that, uh, now he wasn't president when this conversation allegedly occurred, that raises a different issue, could even be an impeachable crime. But it certainly could be a crime and maybe within the statute of limitations. So it's not what I want to talk about. We've talked a lot about that. Uh, As you know, I believe the allegations against President Biden, who I like and who I voted for and intend to vote for if he's healthy and unless things change, uh, those are very serious. Uh, and, and, and I don't necessarily believe that they're true, but they're very serious and should be investigated. I also think that the judge, and I've said this before too, who has to accept the plea bargain with Hunter Biden should not accept it. I think he should say, look, there's too much dispute out there. Um, I can't accept a plea bargain when the Attorney General of the United States says, under oath and on television, that I gave the U.S. Attorney for Delaware the authority to go anywhere, to California, to the District of Columbia, anywhere he wants, and to bring charges and do investigations and have a grand jury against Hunter Biden. He has complete authority and full authority to do all that. And at the same time, we have the man who has the full authority allegedly, allegedly telling Witnesses, six of them apparently in a room. No, I, 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 I couldn't. I couldn't go to California or the District of Columbia. The U.S. attorneys there wouldn't, wouldn't allow me to do it. And so I'm stymied. I've only been able to investigate alleged crimes within Delaware. Now, if all he did was investigate alleged crimes within Delaware, then the plea bargain, you know, seems seems acceptable. If the only thing that was discovered was two cases of filing income tax late and one of filling out a form wrong. People don't get jail time for that, for the most part. Particularly, he did pay his taxes. Somebody else paid it for him, but he paid his taxes. I don't know if he paid taxes on what other people paid for him. I have to ask a tax expert, tax expert, whether that's a taxable event. In any event, um, this is a dispute. And if I'm a judge, 
I don't accept the plea bargain because if he was not allowed, if Weiss, the, the DA, the U.S. attorney in Delaware, was not allowed to look at crimes that occurred in the District of Columbia or in California or elsewhere, then there shouldn't have been a plea bargain, um, especially since the lawyers for Biden, who I know who are very good lawyers, they did a very good job, but they have announced that that's the end of the investigation. He's free. He can't now be prosecuted for things that happened in California or in the District of Columbia. Don't know whether that's true or not. The U.S. Attorney's Office and the Justice Department have said no, that uh, there still can be ongoing investigations. Um, but if I'm the judge, I say to myself, no, I got to I got to get to the bottom of this. Who's telling the truth? Did, was there a misunderstanding? Did anybody lie? I got to get to the bottom of this. And so I hope the judge does that. And if he doesn't, I think there should be groups that come into court and urge him to do it as amicus curiae, a group like Judicial Watch. Um, because neither side is going to want to undo this plea bargain. Hunter Biden's thrilled. No, no jail time. A couple of you know, slap on the wrist here and there. Um, the Justice Department seems satisfied. Look, you know, people don't generally get jail time if they're uh, pleading guilty or putting being put into a program uh, for taxes and not filling out a form. So if it's only a dispute between those two sides, the judge is not going to feel any pressure to intervene. And the judge's jurisdiction under Article 3 of the Constitution is limited to cases and controversies. And there's no, if there's no controversy, what does he have the power to do? Well, judges have exercise the power to resist and reject plea bargains if they don't think they're in the interest of justice. Should they have that power? That's a debate for a different day, but they do have it. And if there's ever been a case for using that power, it's this case. So, so I think that would happen. But again, so we have two situations, a former president, a current president. Both are being attacked uh, in a very partisan way. Uh, Trump is being attacked by uh, the Democrats and Biden is being attacked by uh, Republicans. I have an article in today's, I think, The Hill, uh, in which I argue that the impeachment uh, articles that have been directed against President Biden are not justified. They're not constitutional, um, but that there should be an investigation of some of these other of these other issues. So you have two people charged. It's almost impossible to imagine how differently they have acted. Uh, Donald Trump has spoken about everything. He has tried to explain everything. He's tried to give answers to everything. He said that the evidence, even the evidence of his recorded conversations with a writer and a publisher are exculpatory, not inculpatory. Um, he said that the papers that were waived were not classified papers. They were newspapers and magazines. He said all of all of all of those things. Joe Biden, on the other hand, has said nothing. Hunter Biden has said nothing. Joe Biden at one point said, I have faith in my son. Uh, my son's a good guy. Previously, he has said that he had never had any business dealings. He's spoken through his press secretary. But for the most part, Biden has listened to his lawyers and hasn't given 
prosecutors or even Republicans who are in Congress uh, the ammunition to really go after him for what he said. Believe me, if he had said anything that was provably contradictory, they would have gone after him and they have gone after him for the few things he did say. So what I want to just talk about briefly is the different approaches that the two of them have taken to this issue and, and which is better and which is which is worse. And remember, the both of them are both facing different kinds of courts. Uh, in, in Trump's case, he's been indicted twice. He's facing courts of law. He did twice face courts of impeachment. Biden is not facing courts of law and won't face courts of law. He will not be indicted for anything while he's president. The Justice Department regulations say, no, that, that shouldn't happen. He won't be impeached. Uh, the Republicans, even though they control the House, don't have the votes to impeach him. They may try to impeach Merrick Garland. I don't think they have a case there on, based on the evidence that we now have as well, that he's committed treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. But unlikely they're going to go after um, him. But he has to defend himself in the court of public opinion. He's running for president. And the election of 2024 will be an election that will be determined at least in part, maybe in large part, on the basis of who's the worst criminal. I mean, the Democrats are going to say, are you kidding? He's such a crook. He's been indicted twice. The Republicans are going to say, are you kidding? This is the Biden crime family. Um, uh, you know, he sounds like uh, a member of the mafia when he talks, uh, Hunter Biden, and he's you know threatening, and, uh, and they're going to try to attribute the sins of the son to the father. So you know, we will see a campaign in which there'll be a lot of mudslinging, law-slinging, uh, crime-slinging. So it will play an important role. And, and for that reason, probably President Biden will not be able to remain silent. He hasn't really spoken about this at press conferences or at press accessibilities when he's getting off his airplane or something like that. But He's been very discreet. So there's a sharp, sharp difference between the way uh, Trump handled this and the way Biden handled this. And, you know, that's because they're two very different kinds of people. Uh, Trump has no filter. He just says whatever he thinks at the moment. And, um, and, and, and Biden is the opposite. It's, it seems like it's all filter sometimes. Um, he won't say anything unless it's been vetted by everybody. And when he does say things, Sometimes they come back to haunt him. So he's learned his lesson for the most part. Um, and so what I ask you to think about is, you know, if you were advising Trump, if you were advising Biden, would you have advised them uh, differently? I surely would have advised Trump uh, differently. I would not have uh, advised him to comment on the evidence in the case. I don't mind if he says this is a witch hunt. I don't mind if he says, look, uh, get Trump. Uh, even Dershowitz says, you know, get Trump. I mean, he's quoted me on a number of occasions. Um, but uh, that's okay. That's just, everybody has the right to do that. But I surely would not have had him comment on the evidence and say, let me tell you this, those, docu those, those papers that were rustling that you can hear in the background, 
they they weren't they weren't classified material or secret material. They were newspaper clippings or or something else. Or I declassified everything. Or uh, I didn't declassify this. I could have declassified this. Every time he speaks about the evidence, he creates a problem for his lawyers at trial. Remember, it's unlikely he's going to testify. So the only things the jury will hear from his own mouth are recordings. Now, probably they'll hear recordings on both sides. They will certainly hear recordings from the prosecution. They will hear this recording of the rustling, and I could have declassified, but I didn't. Others, too. They'll have the recording of his interview on Fox News, where he said, you know, they weren't classified material, they were newspapers. They'll put that up there to contradict him um, and show that he's not, not credible, which they're entitled to do. Um, generally, if he doesn't take the stand, there are limitations on that. Now, there are some who might say he should take the stand. After all, uh, he has some explaining to do. And um, although the burden of proof is on the government, theoretically, in practice, when you have a tape like that, maybe the burden shifts a little bit. And maybe the jury is going to say, he said it. I have to hear him explain it because it doesn't sound good on his face. So we don't know whether he'll take the stand. I Prediction, he won't take the stand. Prediction, he will want to take the stand, but his lawyers will ultimately persuade him not to. That's what happened in the O.J. Simpson case. He wanted desperately to take the stand. And I was part of the leadership of the campaign to keep him off the stand. F. Lee Bailey was the leader of the group to put him on the stand. I think he would have been convicted if he had been put on the stand, as he was found liable in the civil case when he was put on the stand. So he was not going to be a particularly compelling uh, witness. And um, I think Trump's lawyers will conclude the same thing about him. So that what they're going to hear is what he has said outside of court. And the defense will probably put on some recordings as well to demonstrate maybe that uh, he has said things that were consistent with what he said and that maybe there can be evidence that he believed that the material was was declassified. Um, as I said yesterday, uh, you can't really prosecute somebody for disclosing classified information when the information has already been widely disclosed and widely disseminated and widely reported on the media, um, there is uh, a concept in the law essentially of no foul, no harm, no foul. And if there was no harm at all, and you know, Trump's lawyers will argue that in the closing case, that even if he did possess classified material or show them to some writer, no harm has come from it. Uh, it's not an element of the crime. But you can argue that to the jury. Nobody was harmed. This information didn't get to Iran. It didn't get to Putin. It didn't get to China. It was just, you know, at his house. And maybe he showed it to a couple of people. Maybe he shouldn't have, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. But no harm. You're not going to put a former president of the United States in prison because he showed off a little bit and showed some papers. That argument can probably be made. Um, we'll see. Um, but... Uh, but I just ask you to note the extreme differences between uh, Trump's uh, uh, speaking about almost everything and, and Biden speaking about almost nothing. Both have been criticized. 
Trump for saying too much, Biden for saying too little. When you're the president of the United States, you can't get it right. You're always going to be criticized either for too much or for uh, too little. So let's turn to some some questions. Um, Derskowitz, you are overthinking a nothing burger. Trump had the right to take the boxes. End of story. Wishful thinking. I'm sure that Trump supporters wish that were true. It's not true. He did not have the right to take classified material home if he knew they were classified. And neither did Biden, uh, neither did Hillary Clinton. The question is, did this improper conduct cross the line to criminality? That's that's the uh, hard question. Uh, Trump will win like he did in 2020. No one believes that illegitimate Joe got 81 million votes. That excludes anyone on the left and supreme pansy-ass judges. It also includes me. I think that Trump lost the election fair and square. I think that Joe Biden got 81 million votes, and and I think he won the Electoral College, and I think he is the legitimate president of the United States. You can call me what you want, but that's my view, and that's the view of the majority of Americans, and that's the view of the vast, vast majority of thinking Americans. Okay. It's not a smoking gun. Trump never said he did not classify as president. That's added context. He said, uh, as president, I could have declassified. Now I can't. Well, maybe he had already, the letter says. This stuff is secret information. So is my real golf handicap. Set aside the fact that there is no evidence that documents was even what he claimed it was. Well, we'll see if there is evidence. There is evidence because it's called circumstantial evidence. But uh, generally, when a person holds up a piece of paper and says, I could have declassified this, but I didn't. There's enough evidence from which a reasonable jury could conclude that he was holding material he believed was classified. So it's not just a nothing burger. It's, it's, it's going to be hard to overcome. Maybe he'll be able to. Um, and then here's an attack on Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, I, I love these kinds of letters. That's nonsense. Roberts is on the Epstein flight logs. He votes the way they tell him. Roberts was not on the Epstein flight logs. Uh, Roberts had never heard of Jeffrey uh, Epstein. When I knew Jeffrey Epstein um, as his lawyer, Roberts's name never came up. Other names came up. Clinton's name came up, believe me. But uh, Roberts' name did not. It's just a myth that the chief justice's name was on Epstein's flight log or that the chief justice was on Epstein's island. It's simply untrue. There are things that are actually provably untrue. This is, this is one of them. Um, uh, Professor Dirsch, you must still have your lecture notes from your days at Harvard Law. Would you consider making a series of videos that recreate these lectures? I'll tell you a little secret. I never use notes when I taught. Um, I would have the case. We usually teach the case method. I would have the case. I may have had a few marginal notes or underlines, but I never, I never lectured in 50 years of teaching at Harvard. I don't think I gave a single lecture in the classroom. I gave lectures outside the classroom. But in the classroom, it was all Socratic. Uh, Mr. So-and-so, um, you've read the case. Tell me what so-and-so judge means when she said so-and-so. No, that's not. No, no, no. How do you make that consistent with that? Well, what if she, you know, the whole thing was Socratic dialogue back and forth. As people said about me all the time, there's no such thing as a right answer in Dersh's class. Um, because every answer begot a different answer. So I could probably find some sketches of little things that I reminded myself 
of in the class, but I, I didn't really take notes for my for my teaching. And I didn't take notes when I argued cases in the Supreme Court. I'm now almost 85. And so when I argue cases in the court now, I still don't take notes. I certainly don't have a prepared argument, but I might have like three words on my on my pad just to remind me. Sometimes I'll forget a name or I'll forget a date. So I have a few things, but uh, it would be great for me to reproduce some of my classes. They, they would be fun. Uh, my son, uh, actually, the last year I taught, um, uh, videotaped every single one of my classes. So there are videotapes of every single, I think, like 45 classes, uh, 15, three times a week uh, classes of criminal law. They exist. And it would be fun someday to maybe do a program which had uh, one of my good classes. Like, for example, the case I talked about yesterday, the shooting the corpse case. I mean, I have that on tape. So you could see how I taught it, what the students say. And uh, it might be interesting to you. Uh, okay. Attempting to do something is not a crime. No, attempting to do something that is not a crime is not attempting to commit a crime. It's so interesting. That's one of the issues that uh, I taught about for a long time. And the answer is maybe and sometimes. And um, my father had an experience like that. My father had a little store on the Lower East Side, uh, 435 Broadway. It's now a fancy shop. Uh, my father and his partner sold it uh, for um, what it would cost today to buy a closet uh, on Broadway. They sold it for a pittance. But he had a little store. And because he was uh, Shomer Shabbat, he was Sabbath observant. He didn't work on Saturday, as I didn't. Um, um, uh, he worked on Sunday. He couldn't make a living if he didn't open the store on Sunday. And there were Sunday blue laws, religiously motivated Sunday closing laws, saying you couldn't keep the store open on, uh, on Sunday. And um, about once every couple of months, they would conduct a raid uh, on all the stores, most of them on Broadway, between Spring and Prince, were owned by uh, Jewish guys, many of them observant. And um, so the police would come and arrest uh, Everybody. And, and, and um, when he saw everybody being arrested, my father walked out and said to the policeman who he knew, the policemen, you know, were very friendly to him. Uh, he said, I'm as guilty as the rest of them, you know, arrest me. And so they arrested him, too. They didn't take him in or anything like that. They gave him a ticket, basically. Um, and um, and then he went to court. And the judge asked him what he sells. And my father said, I sell men's work clothing and men's underwear. And the judge said, dismissed. And my father said, why, you didn't dismiss the guy next to me who sold women's blouses. Why are you dismissing my case? And, and, and the judge said, well, don't you know that work clothing and undergarments are exempt from the Sunday closing law? You did not commit a crime. So the question was, did my father attempt to commit a crime? He thought he was committing a crime. In his mind, he was committing a crime. But it turned out there was no law against selling underwear or uh, work clothes on, on, on Sunday. And there are many cases like that where people think they're committing a crime, but they're, but they're not. There's a famous case when abortion was illegal, where a doctor was indicted for committing an abortion on 
a, a woman. And he, there's evidence that he put on a surgical gown and he did the operation. And once he performed the operation, he said to the woman, by the way, you're not pregnant. Who told you you were pregnant? And the woman said, well, I missed a couple of periods. No, you're not pregnant. Could he be indicted for attempting to commit an abortion if abortion was illegal? He thought he was committing an abortion. He started to commit an abortion. But you can't commit an abortion on a non-pregnant woman. So these are the kinds of issues that used to come up in my class and uh, still come up in some ways. Um, I was a paralegal, and I'm kicking myself every single day for never having at least ordered it, a course in law with Alan Dershowitz when I lived less than an hour from Harvard. I used to get enormous numbers of auditors in the class. I taught a class uh, along with two great professors, a philosopher and, and a biologist, uh, Robert Nozick, one of the great philosophers of the 20th century, and, and Stephen Jay Gould, one of the great paleontologists. And we taught a course called Thinking About Thinking. We had about five or 600 people enrolled in the class. It was a university-wide class. Um, and we would get two, 300 uh, auditors. So we had to move the class to a, a, an auditorium that sat, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. And I would always get auditors in my classes. And I've had students, people over the years tell me I wasn't in your class, but I ordered it. And so uh, you could have ordered it. Yeah. Um, this is a good one. If dereliction of duty is not grounds for impeachment, it's not. Uh, what recourse if the president simply refuses to enforce the law? Uh, pick any law or act of Congress you wish. How about if he refuses to spend legislative appropriations? We just have to wait four years to vote him out while the country falls into chaos. Well, first of all, the president can refuse to spend congressional allocations, and that's happened. But no, you can go to court. You can maybe issue a writ of mandamus. Um, um, but no, uh, there was a flaw in the Constitution. Uh, until the 25th Amendment, you could have a president who was in a coma. And you couldn't impeach him because he didn't commit treason, bribery, other crimes, misdemeanors. There was a debate at the Constitutional Convention in which some people said, no, you have to be able to impeach a president if he's incompetent, if he's not able, if he's unwilling. And that was voted down. So as Justice Scalia would say, hey, my job is not to rewrite the Constitution. Well, they rewrote the Constitution and they added the 25th Amendment, which is very hard to apply but is there for precisely uh, incompetence. But there's nothing in the Constitution that would uh, allow removal from office from a president who said, look, I ran for office on the grounds of uh, I don't want to do very much. I don't think the presidency is an important job. I don't like uh, government, uh, so I'm going to play golf. Um, president Eisenhower came close to that sometimes. He was a great you know, symbolic president, but he was on the golf course an awful lot. Um, but the Constitution doesn't provide a remedy for that, except election every two years. So we're stuck with an incomplete uh, Constitution when it comes to removal of a president. So I'll either see you tomorrow or the next day or in a month. I don't know, but you can watch me whenever you want on, uh, on replay. So uh, if I don't see you, hey, have a great few weeks if I do see you. See you tomorrow or Friday.